Okay, this morning I'm just going to read uh, from uh, from First Peter, and then we're going to see here. After that, we're going to go into James, the first chapter. But in First Peter, the first chapter, it says this in First Peter one verse one. It says Peter. A, a, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And when he says strangers here, the word stranger here means this. We, in 1 Peter 2, verse 11, are, are we're dearly beloved by God. Now, we're dearly beloved right here in time in this world system. This world system. In other words, everything outside of who we are in Christ, there in Christ, the love of God manifested. Everything outside of God's love for us is a stranger. It's some kind of strange thing that happens. It's things that don't make any sense. Nothing makes any sense to us as those that are believers in Christ, in the world, but not of it. In John 17, Jesus wasn't. In John 17, 14, neither were we. In John 17, verse 16. So everything about us in the love of God, his truth towards us in Christ keeps out all strangers. Anything that's strange or doesn't make any sense, it keeps us out. It keeps, it keeps us in and keeps those things out. So in John, we see this again brought out. And then we'll get back to these uh, other places in, in 1 Peter 1 and then in, in James, the first chapter. But in John, the 10th chapter, this is what's being brought out here. Okay, when he said in 1 Peter 1 1 that we were strangers, scattered, the scattered there means that that's a picture of the church in Peter's day in the earth, on the earth, but not of the world. Those believers that were all over the world in these different places, but they were called strangers. Why? Because we're in the world, but not of it. Everything about this world system makes no sense. It's strange. And that's why we can see in John the 10th chapter, in verse 1, it says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, the you here is us in Christ. He that enters not by the door, and we know the door is Jesus himself, into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. Who's the thief and a robber? Well, we know that's Satan, the father of all lies, in John 8, verse 44, he is the one that speaks through the voice of a stranger. Anything that he says to us as believers, outside the love of the Son of God in us and us in him, is something that makes absolutely no, no sense. It's very strange to us. That's why a believer, when we function in the order in first. Uh, Corinthians 14, 40, inside the order of the mind of Christ, that's God's order, it is the very mind of Christ, nothing makes any sense to us outside of that. Nothing makes a bit of sense, and that's why we should never entertain anything other than the Word of God, 
the word of Christ, who we are in him and who he is in us. Because it doesn't make any sense. It becomes very strange. And then confusion comes in in 1 Corinthians 14, 33. And we stop experiencing the life and the peace that's ours in Christ. So he says there, if anyone climbs up, in other words, if anything other than Christ gets into my experience, if anything that's other than his love for me gets into my experience, we know it's a thief, it's a robber, trying to steal us away. Verse 2, but he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the porter opens, and in this sense, this is really speaking of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit opens the reality and the door to all that we are in Christ, to that singular need that he's met. You know, when it says that God, what Christ met our need, and it's true in Philippians 4 and verse 19, God met our need in Christ. But did you know that Christ met the Father's need? And that's why it says in Genesis 22 and verse 8, he, uh, in response to his son Isaac's question, where is the lamb? And then Abraham said to him, my son, God will provide himself a lamb. Did you know that? A lamb. God will provide himself a lamb. That's why the Bible teaches us, as we've been taught by the Holy Spirit, that in God in providing for himself has provided for us. That's his providence. That's his predetermined plan. That goes into his foreknowledge, which is based upon his self-knowledge. Nobody knows God like himself. God knew that Jesus Christ would be the only need for him to be able to release his love to flow towards us. And so it says that here in John 10, verse 3, to him, Christ alone, the porter opens. This is a picture of John 16, 13, and 14. We have been given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit takes the things that are ours in Christ and the things that are of Christ and shows them unto us. That's always the voice of love. And we know in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love, who God is in 1 John 4, 8, and 16, never fails. It never fit. In other words, his love for us is like the beauty of a flower in all of its glory and yet never fades. Think about that. His love for us never fades in the intensity and desire of an exchange of that love life through his son. To him, the porter opens and the sheep hear his voice, it says, and he calls his own sheep by their own particular name so individual, and he leads them out. What does he lead them out of? This is what he leads them out of. And when he puts forth his own sheep, leading them out, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. And they know his voice. And what is he leading them out of? Verse 5, a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This is what he's leading us out of. All those lies, all that confusion, all of those things that God has led me this far, but now what? <laughs> Will he stop? Will he ever stop? And a stranger, they, will they not follow, but will flee from him. 
Now, what this is speaking of for us as Christians on the earth, in the world system, but not of it, when those strangers' voices come in, or possibly when those strangers' voices have become a stronghold in us, where the enemy is holding us in the lie of his strength for many, many years, for some of us, for many, many years, even those that are, of course, believers in Christ, but still in their experience held in a stronghold. And we know that it's either fear or love that holds us. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They don't have anything to do with ourselves. But they are mighty, powerful through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations. What's an imagination? It's a stranger's voice. It's the voice of the liar in John 8, verse 44. Versus he who will never lie to us in Numbers 23 and verse 19. In Hebrews, uh, in Titus 1, 2 and Hebrews 6, 18, God does not lie. He doesn't lie. His love doesn't fade. It doesn't change. His love doesn't change. And so when it says that, they flee from the stranger's voice. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We don't get into a battle with stranger's voices. We just know that we need to do what? What does it say there? And again, we, we see it very, very, very clearly here in the scriptures. Again, and what we're saying and what God is revealing to us is being brought out in 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter the 10th chapter. You know, sometimes the enemy wants to lead us and what he's doing in us by how we think he's leading others so that we'll follow them and not Christ. But in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 4, and verse 3 it says, for though we walk in this this body, really. Though we are walking in these bodies, we do not war after. We don't make the the body ourselves to be that that we war with. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They don't have anything to do. But mighty, mighty. Notice that? Mighty, it says, to God, to the pulling down of these strongholds. What's a stronghold? For years the enemies kept me in the bondage with his strange voice. What's a strange voice? Not who we are in Christ. It's not who Christ is in me and not who I am in him. To the, to, so they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down what? Casting down these false reasonings, these false imaginations, these false images in our mind. And every high thing, notice what this high thing in the stronghold does, becomes an imagination. And for many believers, it's been that way for years. It exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What, or I should say, who is the knowledge of God? How does God know me? He only knows me once Christ is my Savior. He only knows me in Christ and through him. Against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity... How does he capture us? Has his love already captured us positionally in Christ? And it's got to be a continual thing in our experience. 
bringing into captivity what? Every thought to the obedience of Christ. And then I'll have in a readiness to revenge or go against that, against all what? Disobedience. When your obedience is fulfilled. Has our obedience been fulfilled in our position in Christ? Yes. When is it in our experience? When we submit to the reality of it. We submit to the reality of it. Notice what it says here. To the pulling down in, in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. To the pulling down of a stronghold. How does God pull down those strongholds? In a believer who's already positioned in Christ. But Christ is not yet their full, proper what? Image, reasoning. Their full, proper understanding. And so he, he goes into and, and he uses the scriptures, and this is why we can glean from the Old Covenant truths and realities about what we already have in Christ. But also we see, remember it says in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, to the pulling down of strongholds. How does that happen? Well, this is God's order. The order is in Jeremiah 1, 5, he says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the belly, before there was anything about your substance, before you were even formed in your substance, that's brought out again in Psalm 139, verses 13 to 17, beautifully, the formation of the baby in the womb. But he's saying here, before I even formed you in the belly, your mother's womb, I knew you. <laughs> and before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you. I separated you from all outs unto myself and to what I knew about you. And I set, ordained here, is simply in the Hebrew, I gave you a prophet unto the nations. When, when was he a prophet? When was he a prophet in God's mind? Before he was born. Before he was born. Before any man could lay hands on him and recognize it. Verse 6, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. For I am a child. You know, the enemy, through his strange voice, wants to tell certain Christians that being born again is just enough. Or to go into the deeper things of Christ, it's too much. That's the liar's voice. That's the stranger's voice. That is the stranger's voice. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for you will go to all that I will send you. It's necessary to be sent, right? It's one thing to have the gift. It's another thing to be sent by the giver. Because if you're not sent by the giver, the gift does not operate through the head through, properly. You will go to all that I will send you, and whatsoever I command you, you will speak. Now, you are not to be afraid of their faces. This is speaking about nonverbal communication. I think we've all known what that was like the way we grew up. Sometimes we knew what our parents, what their will was, just based upon the way that they could just look at us. <laughs> and you know, 
what that can mean. So it says, be not afraid of their faces, their nonverbal communication that they express against you, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. This is true for all of us in, this, in one sense. Then, verse 9 says, Then the Lord put forth his hand, he touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Not the voice of a stranger, not the words of a stranger, but they're the words of my mouth. My mouth. My mouth. If you have a mouth for thoughts to be conveyed to those that would be the hearers in Romans 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If it's to be conveyed, if thoughts through a mouth are to be conveyed, they have to be in the vehicle of words. That's Christ. He's the very word of God in John 1 verse 1. And so that's what's being communicated to us. And in that, there's no stranger's voice. Now here in verse 10, it says this, See, I have set this, set this day, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to what? To root out. And then what? To, to, to root out. To root out, it says. And then what? To pull down. That's 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 5. Casting down imaginations. He has to pull down. He's pulling down these things in our life that don't belong to the voice of our shepherd. It's the voice of a stranger. What are you going to do now? Look at this. Look at what's against you. No. No. No, what is our view to be what is against us? No, it's Romans 12, 21. Be not overcome with evil. Don't be overwhelmingly occupied with evil, but overcome evil with good. That's why, again, the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul said in Romans 16 and verse 19, I would have you wise unto good and harmless unto evil. Not thinking it. Not looking it by sight at circumstances and situations. Not even the world. Listen, not even our country to be aware of what's going on. But to be overcome by it is the stranger's voice. Because we're more than conquerors in Romans 8 verse 37. So, this is what is going on here. And we can see this very, very clearly once again. When it says this, and this is what is being taken out of our experience, what he takes out of our experience when we come to hear the word of God, and not only hear it, but submit to it, he's pulling down all the lying, strange voices that aren't of who we are in Christ. And remember, we can do nothing without him. We can't do a single thing. But again, in this sense, this is what 2 Corinthians 10 says. And verse 4 is saying, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They have anything to do with us, but they're mighty to God and through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Pulling down. So we see here in Jeremiah 1 and verse 10, see, Jeremiah, I have set you with my word in and over you and through you over the nations and over the kingdoms to what? To root out to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down because before 
he can build and plant, those four things must take place. Root out, pull down, destroy, and throw down. And that's what Jesus was saying in John 3 and verse 30. He must increase. This is the believer in our experience because our position, our experience is based upon our position and it's unchangeable. It is. And so he has to pull down those strange voices or even in confession in 1 John 1 9, we're pulling down the lie that possibly we were, we were living in in our experience. And again, to worry or doubt or to live in fear and to know good and not to do it is sin in James 4, verse 17. Because all worry is is a betrayal of trusting God. It's betraying trust so I can be occupied with worry or evil or the things that I sense the things that I see by sight and sense with my physical body. The fact is this, again, he is pulling these things down in 2 Corinthians 10. He's pulling down the stranger's voice. He's not pulling down who I am in Christ. That's immovable and unchangeable and immutable. Can't add anything to it. Can't take anything away from it. So it's casting down all these false reasonings which are the stranger's voice. And every high thing, the lie that wants to exalt itself against the knowledge and reality of who Christ is in my experience. And then we're brought into captivity. Now, once again, oh, there's nothing like being captured once again, experientially, by his love. Nothing makes any sense outside of him. Not a single thing. Everything does make sense when he can finally, once again in areas, capture us in his love. And he captures, we are brought into the captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. He's accomplished everything for us. Then I have a readiness to revenge all these disobedient, strange voices that come against constantly God, when our obedience is fulfilled and it truly is fulfilled. And so thank God for that. So we come to hear the word of God. And if there's anything in me that needs to be what? That needs to be first to root it out. What what does it mean, root it out? Well, you can just cut the surface weed. But if you don't pull those roots out, that weed will grow again. Right into our experience, a stranger's voice will come right into it. That's why a lot of times in counseling, even when there's counsel, people just want the surface things dealt with. They want the surface things dealt with in relationships, in their personal life or in relationships to others. They want these surface things dealt with, yet they're not even aware of the root that causes that thing, that weed in the experience to keep coming up time and time again. It's because it's a stronghold. It's a stronghold. And we need to have, and we do have it in our position, a readiness to, to revenge all disobedience when our obedience is fulfilled. Is all our obedience fulfilled in our position in Christ? Did he fulfill it all? He did. What's my experience now? What is my option? Uh, this is my option. This is what is, we're bring, that we're being brought down to. This is what is being rooted out, pulled down, 
destroyed, and throw down. This is what's being brought out. Okay, it is what? It is the stranger's voice in the experience. Can the stranger and his voice touch my position? No. 1 John 5.18, the B part, the wicked one touches us not. He cannot touch the position about who we are in Christ. He can't do that. He can't do that. It's, he's defeated. But he'll go after the Christian in the areas where there's not submission. James 4.6, God resists the proud. But he gives greater grace, more, more greater and beautiful grace. And when he gives these greater grace, where does his love flow through? It only can flow through grace. So we have greater degrees of fellowshipping and love that will never let us go, never leave us, nor forsake us in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. It just won't. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Joshua 1, 5, he won't fail us or forsake us. Love, in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, who God is never fails. It just does not fail. So, he's pulling down the stranger's voice, and in some, it's become an image. It's become a very image. Very image. A false one, because it's a stranger's voice. But we see this. We see again in John 10, verse 4, when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them. Did you know that? God won't ever call us to do anything or to trust him for anything that he hasn't already gone and established the reality of who he is in us and who we are in him. He'll never do that. Never, ever, ever do that. Yes, you know, there's a lot going on in the world and there's a lot going on in the country, but only if Christians would get so involved, so occupied, you know, it says in Luke 19, 13, it says, occupy with me. Do not become oh, occupied with what's going on in the world. To the expense and the dismissal of intimacy and fellowship with Christ. We're aware of those things, and that's why it's necessary for Christians. Because, listen, when we're not taught prophecy properly, then we get involved in thinking about what's going on in the world system. We get involved with it. Why? Because we don't understand prophecy. That's why, that's why it says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Should we still know it? Yes. Has God dealt with every single thing that's happening on this earth? Has he dealt with everything? Has he already defeated the enemy? He already has. He's already defeated Satan, the mover, liar, and, and the mover of all evil ones. He's the one. But has he already been dealt with? He has. Christians, hey folks, we're in the world, we're not of it. That means we're not to be occupied with it. Luke 19, 13. Be occupied with me till I come, it says. That's right. Our view is to be upward. Listen, even in the type of the ark in Genesis the 8th and 9th chapters, when, when, when Mo, uh, Noah and all those eight were in the ark, there was only one window in the whole thing. Their only view was uh, on top. Their only view was the window. They were to look upward while the whole earth around them was being judged. That's right. 
We're to be occupied with him. Yes, Christians vote, you vote properly based upon the word of God. But you don't get it overly overwhelmed and make your whole life the political scene. Because the political scene, all that is, and political means to have, literally, if you understand that word, it's citizenship in the world. Our citizenship is not in this world. We're not to be occupied with it. We're to understand prophecy, understand it. But listen, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Because for the Christian, the enemy, because he can't stop them and and can't keep them from going to heaven or can't keep them in the reality of their position, comes in and wants to affect their experience by what's going on in the world and get overly overwhelmed with it when the world system's already been judged by God. Prophecy makes that. It says we have a more sure word of prophecy. That's Christ. We need to have that light dawn in us continually. Because if we don't, if I don't understand prophecy, I'll make prophecy even almost more important than my own fellowship with Christ. We have a more sure word of prophecy. And when I'm not occupied with Christ, then I will privately interpret, and always in a wrong way, what's going on in the world. It's the truth. I see Christians doing it nonstop, getting involved in politics when they're not even of this world. We seek a better one to come. That's Hebrews 13, verse 14. We're not of this world. We're to understand prophecy, but we're to be more occupied with Christ, period. And that's why that's very, very necessary to understand these realities, because if we don't, we operate in a stranger's voice. We just don't. We get overwhelmed, and I see it nonstop, constantly. And that's why, it's, again, it's extremely important about who we, you know, who we fellowship, and we're all learning and growing in that. And by the way, in the process of growth in grace and knowledge in 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, there are were, there were ways when those that, that could see even the Apostle Paul in his struggles and growth and then begin to judge him. You know, there's two things we're always going to see. If we're in a local assembly and we're truly one and we are together, we are going to see the failure of others. But do we see them after that failure? Any of us, at any time, do we? Do I talk about it? Do I make that a source of my talk or exchange with other believers? And in doing so, miss all my, fa- all my failures. And again, we're not to excuse sin. None of us do. None of us are to excuse sin. But we're not to know one another in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 16. We're to know no man after the flesh. Doesn't mean that in the order of God you have to deal with things. But that's God's order. We're not to know one another after the flesh. We're not to know. And then if there are areas where we possibly could have been affected by another's, another's behavior, we go to God first and then go to them alone. We don't make it a source of conversation. And God wants to make that very clear this morning. Because if I operate otherwise, that's a stranger's voice. That's the liar's voice. Okay, That is what that is. <clears throat> and so again... Getting back to this, 
it says in John 10, verse 5, And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him. For they know not the voice of strangers. Okay, they know not the voice of strangers. Because what is the stranger's voice? It is the thief in John 10, 10 that comes. The thief comes for only one reason. The stranger's voice for only one reason. To steal, to kill, and destroy. You know, sometimes the enemy, instead of seeing one another in Christ, he wants to use those failures of another to affect us in the sense to steal, kill, and destroy my own, in, my own intimacy with Christ and make that an excuse. John 15, verse 22 says this, If I had not come and spoken unto them, what's that mean? Is God speaking the word? Is the word of God by his pure grace being spoken this morning? Listen, watch this. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not sinned. But now they have no cloak for their sin. Sin here is an excuse. In other words, I have an excuse. I think I have an excuse now to judge someone based upon how I see them not functioning in Christ. And by the way, it could be that even certain people that certain individuals are with, okay, don't necessarily know the whole picture. They don't necessarily know the years of investment or even why they're doing what they're doing. Okay? There's no excuse for our sin. There's no excuse for us judging each other. None whatsoever. Jeez, did you see that? Oh my God, did you see? Oh my God. Can you imagine the one that's saying that? Do you think possibly you could be skipping over a multitude of your own failures? Oh, Lord. And that's the reason why I can't fellowship with God. Listen, he said, If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. What gives us an excuse for sin? What we think gives us an excuse for sin? Why do we excuse? Do we excuse sin? Well, that's what judging is. I, I, I just completely excuse that whole truth. <laughs> oh, God. Can you, can you imagine? I don't know. Do you think multitudes? And again, we, everyone has to deal with their sin before God. There's no excuse for it. But do you think that multitudes that Moses was leading out, that God was using, did you ever think they saw him fail? Is Abraham the father of our faith? I'm going to make this clear this morning. Is Abraham the father of our faith? Is he? Did he have 13 years of silence with the Lord where he was completely backslidden? You see that in Genesis, the 16th chapter, all the way up to the first chapter, uh, uh, to chapter 17 and verse 1. Do you think they ever saw him fail? Did that disqualify him? Let me ask you this. Did David's failures, he was dealt with by God, and that's the only one who should deal with us. Do you think that David ever failed, yet God stopped using him? Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's, that's called discernment. That's what it's called. That's what it's called. That's what it's called. It's called discernment. Did David ever fail? Noah, Moses, oh, don't you and I love the truth 
about the love of God, the very thing we're reading this morning through the, through the Apostle John. Did he ever fail? Did he, along with the others, forsake Christ in Matthew 26, 56? Does that give me an excuse? Does it? Don't give me any excuses. Because then I become the self-interpreter. <laughs> now I interpret others in their failures and in their conduct of how I saw them. And maybe it was wrong. But whose business would that be? When you fail, whose business is that? Whose business is it when you fail? Do you, listen, do you have secret failures? Do I? You want to make them known to others? You want to make them known? You know, God knows the secret thoughts. He does. He knows the secret sins. Psalm 90, verse 8. He knows them. They're right in the light of his countenance. They're right in the light of his countenance. Judging. Judging one another. Judging one another. That's why the Bible always teaches us if you have an issue with a person. Can't, I can't say this enough. If you have an issue with a person, who should you go to first? God. How? Alone. Okay? I don't take wifey with me. Or take me with her. I go to God alone. It's proper headship. I go to God alone. I go to him alone. And then I go to the individual alone. And it stops there, period. No one else should ever even hear it. But does it become a matter of conversation? If it does, it's one of those things that God hates. It's called, and you can see it in Romans 1, 18 to 32, okay? It's called gossip. Doing this. Do you ever think that Miriam ever saw Miriam, Moses' sister. Do you think she ever saw him fail? Do you think she ever saw that? you think the disciples ever saw each other fail? Did it give them a right to judge? Have a whole conversation? You know, long before it becomes a conversation in words outwardly, it's gone on in the thinking. That's an imagination. I imagine that I can do that. Would that separate me from someone? That stranger's voice that gets in there? Would that start to cause some separation? Would it? Oh. Oh, it would. I had no idea he was even going to talk about this this morning. God's my holy judge. He was too busy dealing with me personally. I mean that with all my heart. But you know, God does. He knows. He knows. Thank God he knows us in Christ. But he will always deal in us what is not of Christ. He will always deal with us, in us, what is not of Christ. And what would cause separation. Or would be the means of thinking we need to cause to be a cause of change. I mean, I don't know. Anyone who's going to lead you, anyone, anyone, is not going to be perfect. They're going to fail. But what are you going to do with their failure? Or what do we think we should do with that failure? 
Some use that as an excuse not to go on. Some use it as an excuse not to continue to be taught. Some use it as an excuse not to fellowship. Because the issue, even in that sense, is not even the fellowship. It's the lack of forgiveness. You know, when I hear a stranger's voice, is there going to be such a thing as forgiveness in my experience? Oh, what the enemy in his subtlety does. Causes us to miss volumes in us and go after one and another. You know what the Jesus calls that? You can see that in Matthew, the 23rd chapter. Watch how he dealt with the Pharisees. They're looking at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and missing the sequoia that's in theirs, the tree, the huge tree, you know, in California, Northern California. They're missing that whole thing. <laughs> oh, And then they think they don't need teachers anymore. They feel like they're, they're well enough in their own experience that they can now lead themselves. Oh, Lord, deliver us from such nonsense and such evil. And thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for it. I thank you for what you deal with me personally because you're the only one that can do that. It's no one else's business. And the same with those that hear the word. It's, it's the Lord's business. It's the Lord's business. But in what way? I mean, did it do, do any of us? You know, when Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, 5, he said there were, there were fears within and fightings without. Do you think that anyone ever saw Paul being weak or failing? Well, <laughs> well, that'll end that, huh? That'll end that whole thing. Oh, you know what? Let me tell you, I can't, oh boy. I'm thinking about it again. I'm thinking about it again. A group of people that just received the word. You know, the thing about it is, is, and I'll close with this. The thing about this is, oh, how the enemy loves to see us treating each other with his strange voice. Oh, how he loves to see that. Boy, he loves to see that, doesn't he? Oh, he loves to have sway over us. Loves to have it. Loves to have it. Loves to see that. We had a great, we had a great week. We had a great couple days with people. Was there some failure in it? Yeah. Was there some growth? Yeah. But you know, others that may have seen failure missed volumes of what God was doing with truth with people, even those that they were with, that they thought maybe wasn't quite right. Wow. Oh, just to be with people. Just to be with people, like I was two or three weeks ago. It was just such a sweet time. Such a sweet time. Such a beautiful, beautiful time. Such a, such a tremendous time. Just to be and make Christ everything. You know, just me. And I saw people there failing in issues, failing in areas. I just did. But in what way did God not use men that failed? What way did he not use them? And so when we judge each other or judge leaders, listen, you're not judging them. You're judging God because they were his choice. Let's just make that clear. I'm going to make it very, very clear. Okay? I'm going to make it clear this morning. 
God wants to make it clear in all of us. God will, God will deal with me. You can be sure of this. God will deal with me. And he, wa- he will deal with me in areas of growth. Just like he'll deal with you. But just remember the investment role. <laughs> just remember the weight of the investment. Just remember that. The weight of the investment. Jeez, I've seen like a handful of failure. Yeah, did you miss all the investment too? In your judgment? In your spiritual knowledge? Oh, in such growth. Oh, such growth. Ooh, to be able to know one another after the flesh. And then to have a conversation. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw. Oh my God, did you see it? Yeah. Oh, maybe we shouldn't say anything. Why, honey? Well, because we're not supposed to. Oh, I see. Okay, for all of us, and we're growing in this, every one of us. But here's the thing. When you invite others in, when you invite them into your life in in a much more intimate way than others, when you do that, when you open your home, or when, and when you open your life, or when you open your pocket, you open your wallet, you open investment for people, and you give, and you should, and you do it as unto the Lord, no question about it. But here's what happens. The greater the intimacy that God is creating is the greater adversary that comes against it to oppose it. Whereas if you go out and people don't know you and haven't had that intimacy and you give them a little piece of the word, oh, how hungry they are to receive it. I don't have a problem with doing that either. My, my success and your success, but my success as a follower of God as he leads me in leading is not people. It's not numbers. My success is experiencing, based upon my position, who I am in Christ. The same is true for everybody here. And everyone that's a believer in Christ that's listening. Here is 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 14. Behold, the third time, Paul said, I am ready to come to you. He's speaking to the church at Corinth. The, the church at Corinth. They, you know what? They, they were so busy. They, they became so busy judging Paul that they allowed all kinds of other lies in their relationship while they were judging him. And he said this, Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. This is speaking in spiritual truth, spiritual treasures. I, as a spiritual dad, am laying up for those children, for them, these things in Christ. And as I do that, will I fail? Here's verse 15. This is where it gets really intimate. The greater intimacy that we seek and desire is going to be the greater opposition and greater adversity that's going to be involved in it. Boy, let me tell you. Boy, have I ever experienced it here like I've never experienced at any other time, at any other local assembly, at any other time in my spiritual life. 
because that's the intensity of the enemy. And in that sense, he comes against us all. But I'm speaking personally. And I will, 1215, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I'm loved. And love will flow without forgiveness and reconciliation and oneness, won't it? Isn't that awful? I will very gladly spend, you know. Wow. Wow, man, I saw them. God, did you see the failure for a couple, three hours? Yeah. Yeah, let's make an issue and forget all the rest. Isn't that interesting? But forget my failure. This is true for every single one of us. Every single one of us. And listen, if we're going to go forward together, I'm just telling you straight, these things do have to be dealt with. There is no question about it. And I am, I am very bold in God's love for me and in his love for others. There's no question about it. And God is lovingly, and this is what he's doing. He's rooting out the stuff from us. He is. He's rooting out the self-life in us. What makes us think we have a right to say a, a single word about a person? And I'm not talking about the preaching of the word and God dealing in an order in a local assembly because there's issues where God has to deal with believers in their life and decrease. And that has nothing to do with the hearers. It's none of their business. That's leadership. That's God's order. It's not up to the children to discipline the parents or talk about them. To hear, to hear children talk about their parents, I mean, in a natural sense, to me, it's, the way that they can feel that they can do that is sickening to me. There's no honor, there's no reverence in that at all. And in, in the spiritual sense, I think it's even worse. I think it's even worse. But thank God for forgiveness. Thank God when we do fail in these issues, we need to go to God, then go to the person and deal with them and deal with these issues in love so that love can once again flow. And thank God, and I thank God for every single person in my life that God has used and given to me as a gift. But in that, there's going to be failure. Can you imagine, how many times would you, how many times would you see your wife fail? Or your husband? You gonna go talk to somebody else about that? You gonna do that? You gonna miss yourself? You want to talk about all your bad things to someone else, too? Maybe before you do that, about the one you think you have a right to do that to, maybe you ought to talk about, you ought to say, first, before I judge this person, let me tell you about all my other hidden things. All my wicked thoughts, my evil tendencies. God, you wonder why you don't have any peace. Jeez, you wonder why things seem so confusing. Any of us would think this way in the flesh. Thank God we're not in the flesh. We're of Christ and we need to treat each other in love and in forgiveness. Every one of us. I need to do this continually and each and every single one of us need to do this. We had a great week. We had a great few days. My, my wife and I had a great couple of weeks planning for people, loving them and doing things for them in love. 
doing them to Christ, doing them first to Christ, but doing them in love for people. There might have been some failure there, just maybe. Just might have been some. Maybe even a couple, three hours of it. Just maybe. But how about the love? What about the love and the investment? What about all those things in each other? Let's see each other in Christ. Let's, let's, let's operate in the forgiveness of God for us individually. And when I do, then I have to give to him that doesn't have it. That's why it says in Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9, two are better than one. Not two jibber-jabbering. Two are better than one in love that in Proverbs uh, 10 and verse 12 and 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, where it would cover. It would cover. And I'm just going to finish with this. We have one more minute. Love covers what? A multitude of what? How does that covering happen? You go to God alone and you go to the person alone. You don't even go to your significant other and make a conversation of someone's failure. You know who's listening to all that? Hmm? No, Christ. Christ is listening to all that. What do you think he thinks of that? And then I'm going to close with this, and we all need to grow in this. I need to grow in it continually. We all do. We all most certainly do. But here, let's look at the scriptures as we close this out. This is Proverbs 17 and verse 8 and 9. A gift is as a precious stone in the eyes of him that has it. Wherever it turns, it prospers. That's grace. That's Christ in us. Okay? Verse 9. He that covers a transgression seeks love. Did you hear that? He, he that covers a transgression procures love. Is really the original. Procures love. But he that repeats a matter separates very friends. Is it okay to do that? Is it okay for that? Oh. Proverbs 25. See? Proverbs 25. Verse 1 says, These are also the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied out. Verse 2. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. What's that mean? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about that failure. Let's do that. Because, you know, we're a couple of really spiritual people to do it. Hmm, God, I'd rather hang around with an unsaved person who has good qualities at a 7-Eleven than hang with that. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Who do you think would have us search out each other's failures? Make it a topic of conversation. Huh. God's not going to have it. And we all need to be around loving people. And you're not a loving people if... You and I are not loving people if we don't understand forgiveness. Sin dealt with, yes. Confessed, absolutely. 1 John 1, 9. Use grace to continue in sin? Absolutely not. Can you imagine? What would be the greatest sin? Seeing another fail, failing, 
but yet me acting as a judge replacing God. Which is the worst one? Which is the worst one? Get into James, the third chapter, the fourth chapter, and the fifth chapter, and understand we all need to in these things. But we need to be patient with each other. And patience starts with God with us, amen? And he loves us, and he's pulling down, he's rooting out these areas in our life, these strongholds. We think we're held in this, and we think we're strong by what we see and how we can judge it needs to be rooted out, pulled down, destroyed, and thrown down. Pulled out, pulled down, pull them out. And Lord, that's my prayer for me. Any area of false judgment, any judgment is false. Discernment is one thing, yes. Now, Father, I just pray in my own life that you would keep me pure from that. Titus 1.15, to the pure, all things are pure. But to them that are unbelieving, refusing the word, even to he operates or she operates in a defiled conscience. Father, deliver us from this, any of us, all of us together, and let love flow. We just thank you and praise you this morning for your truth and that this is your love for us. You're not condemning us. You are all of us, me and all of us. You're convicting us in 1 Corinthians 11, 31 and 32, so we won't be condemned with the world. Because Satan, in Revelations 12, 9, he deceives the whole world and he deceives the Christian who functions under the stranger's voice. So, Father, thank you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.